0: I think you can resonate with that. You, you kind of have to once you have them, right? Like, especially when they're little, you just got to spend a lot of time with them. And so we, we try really hard to create great experiences when possible, right? We want it to be uh, out of the mundane, to have something that they will remember um, and, and can draw upon the rest of their lives as these fun times with mom and dad, right, or these formative times with mom and dad, or these special times. Um, but I've gotten them ahead a little bit lately because I've been trying to think back uh, to those very moments with my parents. And um, I, th- I think you are all like me. You can remember me- like a lot of detail about yesterday, right? But you can only remember glimmers of kindergarten. You don't remember what happened every day and who your best buddy ever... Th- you might remember who your best buddy was. Some of y'all have the same best buddy from kindergarten, don't you? But, but Brie, that is awesome that you do. Um, but, but most of these are kind of uh, a little clouded, right? You can't recall uh, every moment. You can, You can... See the occasional highlight, I remember Mrs. Moy, my kindergarten teacher, but if she walked up to me on the street right now, I would not recognize her. Um, I can remember that we learned to read, but I don't remember how. Uh, Before kindergarten is even foggier, right? Um, These kind of birth to four-year-old, I know there are lots of things that happened in there, um, and my parents invested heavily in me, but I don't remember most of them, which makes me feel good on the days that I'm not the best parent for Parker, right? Not all of this is in the like uh, memory bank that she'll draw everything. But um, it's got me thinking, like, what is, what is a good use of our time? And, and what are the things that she will most likely remember? And it's got me thinking that even for our church. like, uh, What does it mean to invest in our littlest kids in faith formation, uh, knowing that at some point, you know, we're going to send them off to college. Um, we're going to send them into their lives. And uh, what are they going to remember and what's going to have shaped them? And I've, I've looked back to try to remember what I experienced. I'm a cradle Methodist. The Fosters had me in there, I am sure, before everybody was settled in the hospital. We missed maybe two Sundays a year. We went my whole life to Jarvis Memorial United Methodist Church. I remember virtually nothing about the first like six or seven years of worship. Right? I can begin remembering early elementary, like uh, the smells and the presence of my mother and, uh, and some of the sights and sounds, but before that, I don't have a whole lot of uh, memory of the church. And so I begin to interrogate, like, what, do, what are my earliest spiritual memories? And they're not from the church, they're from at home. That's a whole other sermon. We'll preach a whole other day about uh, the home as the primary source of discipleship for our kids. Uh, but it's got me thinking about what is the most vivid thing we leave with our kids? Because for me, it is a, a prayer that goes, uh, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord... My soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Some of you have some lines after that. That's the only lines we had. You amen at that point, and your mom turns off the lights, pulls the cover up, and leaves the room, and you're supposed to go to bed. It's a beautiful uh, intention in that prayer, right? Um, When you're a kid with a vivid imagination and time to just lay in bed, it can lead you to some dark places and it can become scarier than the monsters. Um, Is God going to answer that prayer? Because I know, by this point, I know uh, there's two places my soul can go, right? It can go with God or not with God. And from what I've seen in the cartoons, not with God is fiery. Um, And so I would sit and ponder uh, am I good enough? What a weight to put on a four-year-old or five-year-old. Am I good enough, right? Uh, that's a hard enough weight for a 40-year-old. Um, have I done the right things? And this prayer, you know, morphed over the years, but basically for much of my childhood, the prayer was, dear God, make sure I go to heaven if I die tonight. Um, I won't do that thing ever again. Just, I promise, if you just let me go to heaven, if I die tonight, I won't ever sin like that again until tomorrow when I sin like that again, Right? Uh, But that prayer has stuck with me and has shaped my understanding of death. Much of what I was raised around is uh, death happens and you go to heaven or you go to hell. And hell is uh, a fiery place with a horned devil uh, where you just literally uh, sit in burning flames for the rest of eternity, right? Uh, The eternal torment of the damned is what they call it in the academy. Uh, This is the picture of hell I got. And the picture of heaven, I'm pretty sure I got from Peanuts, um, like cloudy floating up in the sky, Caucasian God with a long beard uh, who met you at a uh, uh, kind of gilded entrance to heaven, and you hope your name was on the list so you didn't fall through the trapdoor down to a fire. That's a lot of weight uh, to put on the prayers of a kid, right? It's a lot of weight to to think about um, how it. Uh, what it means and what the implications are. And and that was pretty much it for the next 20 years of my thought about death. Um, Whenever a family member would die, I'd see people crying and grieving and weeping, and I'm just thinking, like, yeah, it's sad they're gone. Are they in heaven or are they in hell? I wonder if they did uh, the right things, if they uh, made it there. What are your earliest memories of... uh, of spiritual formation around death and dying. Think about your your earliest perception of what it means to die, especially if you were raised in the church. What does it mean to die, and then for what happens after? How has that uh, shaped you? How has that formed you? How has that uh, stuck with you? How has, have you pushed some of it aside and said, "I'm not gonna I'm not gonna approach it from that lens anymore." What? What are your earliest memories? And now what does it mean for you? If you were to, um, to think about what you wanted uh, to happen immediately after your death today, what do you anticipate is happening? What do you think uh, will happen here on earth and in heaven and in between and whatever all is going on there? What, what do you think happens Is it shaped from a childhood prayer or for some sermon you heard or from a book you read? Is it shaped by uh, Kirk Cameron and his uh, team going out and telling you the different ways to not burn in hell? Is it shaped by somebody who told you about love? How is is your understanding of what happens after death shaped? What do you hope people say right after you die? Because you know we're full of sayings around death, right Darren? If we have a visitation, uh, good Christians come filled with pithy statements to make each other feel better, right? And we will say to them with all, uh, all the good intention um, because we're super uncomfortable. Death is really uncomfortable if you're coming to your first visitation as a little kid or whether your whole family has uh, died over the years and you're 90 years old and going to another funeral. We're uncomfortable with death and we're uncomfortable with silence and not being able to fix it. And so we say uh, lots of different things, right? Uh, probably the best thing, we just simply say, I'm sorry, and I love you. I'm, I'm so sorry. This is not fair. I'm sorry, and uh, even as uh, that person's not suffering, I'm sorry, and I love you. Um, we, we get into theological Uh, murky waters often with our statements when we're trying to help each other at the visitation. (sighs) She finally got her angel wings. God needed another person. That's God's plan. They're well-intentioned sayings, right? There is not the least bit of malice intended by any of them, but they each say something about who God is and what happens to us in death, right? Um, My earliest memories of funerals or my aunt wailing when Aunt D.B. died. And then my family telling us that we couldn't go to the funeral because we needed to stay and guard her house because back then you published the address in the newspaper and somebody had to guard the house to make sure it didn't get robbed. I'm like, this is my first funeral experience. Um, I had a friend die uh, when I was in fourth grade when her horse kicked her in the chest and uh, she was having an asthma attack and her mom sent her to the car um, to get some air and to breathe. She was going to get the horse put up and she died there. And, and there was lots of language in our church of, well, God had a plan. God needed her. My best friend, I've told you, died when we were 18 after he had finally gotten his life together in a car wreck when someone else hit him. Um, did God need him? What happened? Had he said the right prayer? I had, uh, my grandmother was one of 14 and my grandfather was one of 17. We had lots of aunts and uncles have funerals and they each had their own flare of memory that stuck with me and and has kind of been part of my baggage to work through around death and dying. What is your your baggage? What are the good things that have shaped and formed you and what are the, the things that you have to kind of shake off we're in this series on dogma, doctrine, and belief. Uh, dogma being those things that are absolutely essential beliefs to be a Christian. Doctrine are those things that we can kind of negotiate around, and like your church might have a little flavor of it, and this one might have a little flavor, but we basically believe the same thing. And then belief is the things like, Free, it really doesn't matter what you think about this thing. We can all just be fine, right? Uh, and, and I got the chapter on uh, death, judgment, and eternity. We don't talk about death, judgment, and eternity enough in the life of the church. I find it a fascinating topic. We've done grant research uh, around grief and lamentation, um, but it's a hard topic to talk about because we don't, and so we don't have a common language often, and we're shaped by uh, our folk theology, the things we're raised in, and we're shaped by TV, and uh, if, if you're a part of a certain uh, stream of the church. You got Shaped by 10 LaHaye and the Left Behind movies. And if you are part of another stream, Kirk Cameron and his uh, Did You Break a Ten Commandments" stream, uh, there's all these things that come together. And then we come to Scripture, and there's no one good story that I can read you <laughs> and say, here's what happens. We can take any of the readings we've done today, and we could preach a sermon on them. We could take... Uh, dozens of others and say this is exactly what happens after death and then we'd contradict ourselves uh, Scripture is full of a multifaceted presentation of death and judgment and eternity and so we can ask what the churches believe throughout time and and we believe it because uh, we say it every week uh, after we have shrugged through the Apostles Creed about Jesus because that's the long part right we, we, we catch our breath after uh, Jesus and we go and I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting, right? We, we kind of get that last breath out and jump through the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. We, we jump through this communion of saints that is uh, pointing us to that there is something bigger when we die. That we are participants in the church still, and that we participate somehow— with the church throughout time, that we are part of this communion. At Sunday school, we talked a lot about mystery as an answer for, so how does that work? Because if I tell you that we're part of the communion of saints, surely the next question is, so so how is that, right? And I don't have an answer, it's a mystery. The forgiveness of sins uh, invites us to contemplate what exactly we mean with that. Uh, for, for a lot of us, that is the question of, uh, if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Uh, did my sins get forgiven because I believed or did something, right? Or did my sins not get forgiven because I didn't believe or didn't do something? The resurrection of the body, we tend to just kind of skip that all along, right? We just tend to talk about the resurrection as being Jesus. Jesus resurrected, great for him. That's part of his deal. And the life everlasting, we tend, if, I, I, if you're Tell me if I'm wrong, but we tend to think of life everlasting as our disembodied floating up in heaven, right? Cliff nodded. This, this is the general picture of life everlasting, is in heaven, which uh, it's hard to picture heaven on a flannel graph, so it tends to be right above the earth, and that's where we're going, right? Because God dwells in heaven, and, uh, and uh, the ancient worldview was that heaven was in the clouds above the firmament, and so we go to heaven, Simple enough, right, Trish? Communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Uh, Those tools are mildly helpful when we're going to the visitation of someone we love. Um, It doesn't give us the language to speak and the the confidence to be fully present uh, without offering some pithy statement. We're basing this series on the echo catechism, uh, and so we, we've seen the Apostles' Creed with its four little quick I-believes, and the catechism uh, is going to be the definitive answer about what happens in death, judgment, and eternity, right? The church has used this as our tool to, to, to know the fa- foundations of faith. Uh, and so it's got a few questions. Why do all people die? And quoting from Romans, it says, the body is subject to death because of sin. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? And the answer is, the spirit of the, righteousness are, the righteous are made perfect and are with Christ when they depart. They await the day when the body will be imperishable in glory and power. How long will the bodies of people lie in the grave? Until the last day when Christ comes to raise the dead in judgment. Will all the dead be raised? There will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Will all people be judged at that last day? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that Each of us may receive what is due us the things done in the body, whether good or bad. We flip the page and we keep going. There's more questions about death, judgment, and eternity. What invitation will Christ give to the righteous? Righteous. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Nope, world. Uh, What sentence will be pronounced on the wicked? Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. What will then take place? The righteous will go into eternal life in the new heaven and new earth. God's dwelling place will be among the peoples and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And how will eternal life be different from the old order? God is making everything new. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. There you go. You're ready for your next visitation, right? Whew. I'm sorry your aunt died, but the dead, the dead in Christ will rise again. That, that's the appropriate look, Marcy. That is a, that's a weird uh, tool at your next visitation is the catechism questions, right? What happened if they were wicked? Well, this is what's going to happen. So the catechism gives us some things to ponder, but they're not the best tool for your next visitation. And it doesn't begin to broach some subjects. Y'all, church likes to think we become angels, Hebrews and the Psalms tell us that the angels are a whole different order. We stay people, angels stay angels, and that's how it's going to work. But it's really comforting to talk about wings and, and kind of flying with God, right? I get it. And, and we'll pray things and say things that we wouldn't actually write if we were writing, like, our thoughts about death. Um, we, we can read this question that talks about judgment and says that the, the wicked will be perished into the flames of fire, or whatever it says. Uh, but then we can easily flip to another scripture that says... All will worship and glorify God in the final days. So what do we do with death, judgment, and eternity? I want to tell you the things we can hang our hats on as agreed upon as dogma through the church throughout time, and these are going to be our tools, our our things to hang our hats on, okay? At some point, we're going to die. Okay? Carrie's laughing. I mean, unless, uh, unless Christ comes in final victory uh, before you die, we're going to die. Dad used to say that a lot when we were kids. I'm ready for Jesus to come and take me away. Uh, I hope he comes now. I mean, I, I'd like to have more life with you, but I'm ready. Uh, but, so we're going to die. We're going to die. And at that point, at that point, we're going to uh, hopefully have a good Christian funeral and uh, your soul will be commended to the care of Christ. And right now you're thinking, what does that mean, right? What does it mean for your soul to be committed to the care of Christ? <sighs> uh, I reread the chapter in my seminary book on this the other night, and it was 170 pages about what happens in that moment. Do you want me to read all 170 pages to you? <laughs> Trish was like, not a chance. No. Cliff Notes. Cliff Notes version. The Cliff Notes version is it's a mystery. Uh, we, we are told that we will go rest in Christ. That as our body is committed to the ground, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, our soul goes and dwells with Christ. Some people have called it the great sleep. We, we have no bodies, we have no perception of time. Some will call it um, uh, the intermediate state uh, as we rest with Christ. Uh, but we know that we go with him. And we, we hear this in all sorts of places in Scripture uh, from the, the, the very moment at the cross where Christ offers the criminal uh, the invitation to be with me in paradise uh, through Revelation where it talks about the dead uh, resting in Christ. So our bodies are committed to the ground and we go rest in Christ and I can't give you a whole lot more because in some ways uh, the, the, the picture is of us uh, just kind of waiting in a, in a timeless uh, expectation of the resurrection and yet the church has also held that we can, we can join with those saints and pray with them. We can uh, actually bring our intercessions before people. The Catholic Church uh, does a, a great job of, of pointing to uh, the saints that have gone before and can intercede on our behalf to Christ. And I wish I had an answer for what it means, but what we do know is that we go uh, and rest in Christ. And then others of us just keep dying and resting with Christ. And we keep dying and we rest with Christ. And then at some point, that, that little second-to-last line of the creed comes into play, I believe in the resurrection of the body. And if we, if we take this belief uh, for, for its fullness, if we, if we appeal to the Scriptures, this is the hope that we will take up our resurrection bodies, that our soul and flesh will be re- reunited, and we will be fully human once more. We will be fully alive. The early church wanted, uh, really wanted to die quickly because they wanted to get rid of their nasty bodies. They laughed at Sunday school, but human bodies go to the bathroom and have sex and do all this kind of stuff that in Greek thought is nasty. And so they wanted to flee from their bodies, and so you just wanted to be a soul, but the Christians wanted to be body and soul together because that was what it meant to be fully human, that in creation, God breathed God's breath into matter, and then it became fully a person. And so we die Our soul is commended to the care of Christ. Sometime later, we anticipate the resurrection of the dead, where we rise in Christ, and we have a pretty universal agreement. There is some type of judgment. This is where I wish we could turn off the live stream, because somebody can take this out of context and make me look uh, borderline heretical. There is some type of judgment, and depending on what passage you read, it reads differently. Um, some of Jesus' sayings are, uh, we're going to separate the wheat and the chaff, right? And some of it's going in the fire, and some of it's going into the marketplace. Uh, others are, um, some of you think you're good, and you say, Lord, Lord, I'm not going to recognize you in heaven. But some of it seems to be an invitation to all. We've, we've seen the church from its earliest days wrestle with, uh, what, a, what, what does it mean for the wicked? Is there a chance after you die, and the church does not have complete agreement on what happens after we die? The Catholic Church will talk about purgatory, this this time where you can go and uh, literally purgate the sins from your life and enter into uh, the final resurrection with Christ. Uh, some folks will talk about uh, Christian universalism that Christianity matters because of our life today, but Christ has come for all people. Uh, the, the desert mothers and fathers often thought this, and if you read the, um, the Chronicles of Narnia, or any other C.S. Lewis books, he thought that uh, God's full love would be on display when eventually all people were brought to him, that uh, God couldn't be fully loving to cast us in an eternal fire. And so I wish I had a, "This is exactly what happens at judgment. We can can lean into God's character. We can explore God's love, but but there's this moment. Um, And then there's uh, life everlasting. Darren read from Revelation 21. It is uh, literally out of my Bible. My Bible stops at Revelation 19 because that's the passage I so often came back. I was like, no, look, we don't stop in cloudy heaven. We stop in new creation when heaven comes down to earth and God dwells in our midst and we are in our full bodies and we're by the tree of life and we live in this place where God's Presence is so strong that we don't even need the sun. But that's the picture of hope that 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 ends our scriptural text that calls us back to that first garden of creation. And it's the hope that um, that I hope you take and go forth with. That for all we can't explain about what it means to rest in Christ, for all we can't explain about what the judgment scene looks like. This hope of a time when there is no more pain and no more sorrow and no more tears. A time when death is gone and a time where we dwell fully in the presence of God. It's the hope that sustains me. Um, when Mom died, um, it nearly broke me. Um, I, I couldn't pray extemporaneously. I could only read prayers. I couldn't, um, I couldn't come up with a happy old jovial answer. All I could say is, I don't know how you get through this without believing in uh, in something beyond this. And I hope it's the, I hope it's the hope, I hope it's the hope that goes and sustains you. I hope it's the hope you have when those near to you die and when you go and offer love. Where we don't uh, come with pithy sayings, but we say, I'm so sorry, and I'll hope with you. That's not fair, and I'll long for when things are made right. I, I know your pain and I'm sorry. Death, judgment, and eternity. I wanna preach a whole other sermon, but I'm not going to, okay, Carrie? I won't preach the next sermon. Um, But this is so important, and it might be our greatest gift to the world, to, to, um, to share the hope we have in Christ, to long uh, for that day when there is no more pain and suffering, to long for that day when we are uh, fully alive in Christ and with those we love. Amen? Amen? Would you pray with me? God, we would love to talk about uh, joy and hope and delight and all the good things that come from you, and we'd love to talk about um, the many blessings in our life, and yet, at the same time, uh, a day doesn't go by that um, death doesn't touch one of us. We'd love to talk about uh, the beauty of salvation in you, and yet, uh, we are so often plagued with questions about what happens then. And so, Lord, draw near to us and And uh, build deep inside of us a hope for what is to come for uh, for resting in your arms for taking up resurrection bodies and for uh, dwelling in new creation with you Lord teach us to be good friends and loved ones to those who are mourning and grieving uh, to draw near instead of trying to fix to support and love Lord, give us new revelation each day about what these mysteries mean for us and for the world. For even when we don't have the answers, we trust you and we love you. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.